Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Going Upcast, your now once again weekly podcast where I talk about pop culture, media, anything that anything that crosses my brainscape that creates that feeling of happiness in either myself or in all of you, or ideally both. Let's get right into it because it has been way too long since I had done one of these episodes. The last one was episode 69 for Halloween, and now here we are pretty deep into December. Winter is approaching rapidly, and I thought it was high time to get back in the weekly swing of this podcast. And I've been doing a lot of soul-searching, a lot of creative brainstorming, just a lot of thinking about where I wanted to go with this podcast. And I decided that what I'm going to do over the next at least four or five episodes is I want to do an experiment. And the experiment is I am going to read an audio book in my classic, you know, irreverent, usually inebriated style of public domain books because I can't get in trouble legally for this. So (laughs) uh, the first book that we will be reading for the Going Up cast that you will listen to the first part of in this episode is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It seemed appropriate given the season. And I had never read the book. I've seen the movies countless times, countless times. Uh, But I want to read audiobooks for the podcast because that makes a lot of sense. Now, that's not to say we are losing any of our, our staple segments um, of the going up cast in the way it's going to work is that it'll be, uh, like a fairly significant portion of the audiobook, followed by one of the segments followed by more audiobook. It'll kind of be intermittently spliced out throughout the entire episode. Um, I like the, the breaking it up with the, uh, with the segments and stuff like that. And it's kind of in my head, it's the best of all the worlds. And so hopefully this all goes according to plan. That's the goal. At least this week we talk about Disney Plus, which I spent many months talking about prior to our long sabbatical. And I also talk about the latest Pokemon video game and my thoughts on it. But let us not their dilly nor dally. I want to get right into the book. So let us listen to Christmas Carol. Well, this is going to be a new, interesting experiment for the podcast. I'm going to blend my two loves together, doing things that make me happy in the hopes that it makes you happy, i.e. the podcast, and getting really angry and reading books, <laughs> blending it together. It's all coming, it's all merging in the here and the now. <clears throat> and of course, because of the fact that this is um, being uploaded in such a manner, uh, hello to public domain books that no one can get me in trouble for. A Christmas Carol in prose being a ghost story of Christmas my Charles Dickens. Scrolling, scrolling. Preface. I don't give a fuck about the preface. Uh, it's, it's, so the original story is broken up into five parts. We'll see how that divvy up across podcasts. Um, but I'm just gonna keep on scrolling here. Scrolling, stave one, stav, stave, stave one, Marley's ghost. <clears throat> Marley was dead to begin with. There was no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Chief. <laughs> right. So does that mean it's like, all right, look, so the dude just died. I need you to just really, really hammer it home that you're sad. Okay, go. <laughs> oh, port looks at name on hand. 
Charles Barbley. Nope. Ah, oh, fuck. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I don't know. Scrooge signed it. And Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Mind, I don't mean to say that I know of my knowledge what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I might have been inclined myself to regard a coffin nail as the deadest piece of iron mongerty in the trade. But the wisdom of our ancestors is that to a simile, and my unhallowed hands shall not disturb it, nor the country's done for, or the country's done for. You will therefore permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead? Of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and he were partners, for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was the sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole assign, and uh, his sole residuary leg legate. Legate. His sole friend and sole mourner. Wait, no, hold on a second. Hold on a second, Dickens. What about the chief mourner? It was signed by that... Oh, fuck, my laundry's done. Hold on. Sorry, I misspoke. I didn't... I didn't mean it was, uh, it was done. I had to move it to the, uh... To the dryer. Anyway, there was like a chief mourner, right? Unless Scrooge was the chief mourner. Oh, well. And even Scrooge was not so dreadfully cut up by the sad event, but that he was an excellent man of business on the very day of the funeral and solemnized it with an undoubted bargain. The mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started from. There was no doubt that Marley was dead. Not a one. This must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story I'm going to relate. If we're not perfectly convinced that Hamlet's father died before the beginning of the play, there would be nothing more remarkable in his taking a stroll at night in an easterly wind upon his own ramparts than there would be in any other middle-aged gentleman rashly uh, turning out after dark in a breezy spot, say St. Paul's Churchyard, for instance, literally to astonish his son's weak mind. Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. It, there it stood, years after, above the warehouse door, Scrooge and Marley. The firm was known as Scrooge's Marley. Sometimes people knew to the business called Scrooge Scrooge, and sometimes Marley, but he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. Oysters usually grow in um bunches, so I'm not sure that one that one really sticks the landing there, but I'll chalk it out to Dickens not knowing what he's talking about. <laughs> the cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheeks, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rhyme was on his head and on his eyebrows and his wiry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in the dog days and did not thaw it one degree at Christmas. In the dog days. I'm not sure what that, what that means. External heat and cold had little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could, be, could warm, no wintry weather chill him. No wind that blew was bitterer than he. No falling snow more intent upon its purpose. No pelting rain less open to entre um, entreaty. Foul weather didn't know, didn't know where to have him. The heaviest rain and snow and hail and sleet could boast of the advantage over him in only one respect. They often came down handsomely, and Scrooge never did. Is that a sex thing? Scrooge never... Scrooge never went down. Might be a sex thing. I don't know. 
Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say with gladsome looks, My dear Scrooge, how are you? When will you come to see me? No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him it, what it was a clock. No man or woman ever once in all his life inquired the way to such and such a place of Scrooge. Even the blind men's dog appeared to know him. When they saw him coming on, they would tug their owners in doorways and up courts and then would wag their tails as though they said, No eye at all is better than an evil eye, dark master. Why would a dog say that? But what did Scrooge care? There's a lot of exclamation points in this. It was the very thing he liked to edge his way along the crowded paths of life, warning all human sympathy to keep its distance. What was the knowing ones called nuts to Scrooge? Once upon a time of all the good days in the year on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. One coin! <laughs> it was cold, bleak, biting weather, foggy withal. And he could hear the people in the court outside go wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts, stamping their feet upon the pavement stones to warm them. The city clocks had only just gone three, but it was quite dark already. It had not been light all day. Um, and the candles were flaring in the windows of neighboring offices like ruddy smears upon the palpable brown air. The fog came pouring in at every chink and keyhole and was so dense without that although the court was of the narrowest, the houses opposite were mere phantoms. Wow. I read that flawlessly. <laughs> To see the dingy cloud that came drooping down, obscuring everything, one might have thought that nature lived hard by and was brewing on a large scale. That doesn't make any sense to me. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open that he might keep his eyes upon the clerk, who, in a dismal little cell beyond a, sh a sh sort of tank, was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal. But he couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal box in his own room. And so surely, as the clerk came in with the shovel, the master, master would predict that it would be necessary for them to part. Sorry, I've been reading a lot of Game of Thrones, so master becomes maester now in my fucking idiot brain. Anyway, basically what Scrooge is saying here is that if somebody came in asking for a warmer fire, he would fire them on the spot. Wherefore, the clerk put on his white comforter and tried to warm himself at the candle, in which effort... Uh, not being a man of strong imagination, he failed. A Merry Christmas, Uncle! God save you! cried a cheerful voice. It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew, who came upon him so quickly that it was the first intimidation, um, intimidation of intimation, there we go, he had of his approach. Oh, I need to come up with a voice for Scrooge. Bah! said Scrooge. Humbug! He had so heated himself with rapid walking in the fog and frost, this nephew of Scrooge's, that he was all aglow. His face was ruddy and handsome. His eyes sparkled and his breath smoked again. Christmas a humbug, uncle, his, said Scrooge's nephew. You don't mean that, I am sure? I do, said Scrooge. Merry Christmas. What right do you have to be merry? Oh, it's Snape's voice. I should do Snape's voice. What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come then, returned his nephew gaily. What right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough. Scrooge was having no better answer ready to sp on the spur of the moment said, Bah! Again, and followed up with, Humbug! Don't be cross, uncle, said the nephew. What else can I be? returned the uncle. When I live in such a world of fools as this, Merry Christmas. Out upon Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer? A time for balancing your books and having every item in them through a round dozen of months presented dead against you. 
If I could work my will, said Scrooge indignantly, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. He should. Uncle, pleaded the nephew. Nephew, returned the uncle sternly. Keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it, repeated Scrooge's nephew. But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then, said Scrooge. Much good may it do you, much good as it has ever done you. There are many things for which I might have derived good, by which I have not profited, I dare say, returned the nephew. Christmas among the rest! But I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time when it has come round, apart from the veneration due to its sacred name and origin. If anything belonging to it can be apart for that, as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one content to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they were really fellow passengers to the grave, not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. Therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrip of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe it has done me good and will do me good, and I say God bless it. The clerk in the tank involuntarily applauded. Becoming immediately sensible of the impropriety, he poked the fire and extinguished the last frail spark forever. <laughs> Sorry. That's funny. Oh. That's one thing I noticed when I was briefly scanning this this book, is that Dickens? It's a funny guy. This book's got some good jokes in it. So... Let me hear another sound from you, said Scrooge, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your station. You're quite a powerful speaker, sir, he added, turning to, your, uh, to his nephew. I wonder if you don't go into Parliament. Don't be angry, Uncle. Come dine with us tomorrow. Scrooge said that he would see him. Yes, indeed, he did. He went the whole length of the expression and said that he would see him in that, in that extremity first. But why? Scrooge's nephew cried. Why? Why did you get married? said Scrooge. Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love, growled Scrooge, as if that were the only thing in the world more ridiculous than a Merry Christmas. Good afternoon. Nay, Uncle, but you never came to see me before that happened. Why give it a reason for not coming now? Good afternoon, said Scrooge. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why cannot we be friends? Good afternoon, said Scrooge. I'm sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. We have never had any quarrel to which I had been a party, but I have made the trial an homage to Christmas, and I keep my Christmas humor to the last. So a Merry Christmas, Uncle! Good afternoon, said Scrooge, and a Happy New Year! Good afternoon, said Scrooge. His nephew left the room without an angry word, notwithstanding. He stopped at the outer door to bestow his greetings of the season on the clerk, who, cold as he was, was warmer than Scrooge, for he returned them cordially. And then there's another fellow, muttered Scrooge, who overheard him. My clerk with 15 shillings a week and a wife and family talking about Merry Christmas. I'll retire to Bedlam. So, I know I'm probably going to say this at the start of pretty much all of these segments for for this episode of the Going Up cast, but it's been a minute. It's been a minute. How y'all been? Hope y'all are doing good. 2019 is coming to a close. And boy, you know, I thought it'd be nice to do a bit of a bit of a catch up on some of the news bits and new pieces of media that have come out in the uh, intervening weeks since the last episode, which was a bit ago. It was the it was the Lovecraft episode. I hope you guys enjoyed that. It was a little bit different from what uh, 
what we tend to do with the podcast. Um, it was kind of a blending of the worlds. And I'm, you know, I'm workshopping some stuff in the in the back end here about new things we can do with the podcast and stuff like that. And I'm hoping to get some more of my friends involved in, um, in what I'm trying to accomplish here. But first, I wanted to just talk about something that we spoke about in great length many moons ago, but has now since come out and I have had a lot of experience with it. So I wanted to talk about it a little bit. I should clarify that this is not sponsored, but I want to talk about Disney+. Plus. Now, Disney Plus is the Walt Disney streaming service. It's very similar to Netflix and uh, Hulu, which Disney also has a majority control over, just for the record. Disney owns more than 50% of Hulu, which means it owns Hulu. Um, but I want to talk about Disney Plus. So just so everybody doesn't think I'm all up inside the uh, this kind of sphere of fandom, I do have a couple of nitpicky things about Disney Plus that I wanted to talk about first. Number one, the front page does not seem to really give a rat's ass what you have been watching in terms of what it recommends. It's got like, you know, um, trending hit movies, um, originals, it's got all that stuff. It has the recommended for you section, but honest to God, it's basically the exact same as the trending and stuff. I'm sure it's like as you watch more things, it might become more specialized to the person watching it. But as of right now, it doesn't have a lot in terms of of that. Outside of that, I'm pretty pleased with it. I love the way it looks. I haven't had an issue with stuttering or frame drops or anything like that. I love the selection. I love the originals. Um, the world, according to Jeff Goldblum, is great. I haven't seen The Mandalorian yet, but that is on my list of things to watch. I just saw that um, a couple of Disney Channel shows that I've always wanted to see are on here, like... um. Gravity Falls, and Star vs. the Forces of Evil, which I have seen a couple of episodes of, and I very much enjoyed that, so I do want to watch that show. Um, the selection is phenomenal. It is, for me at least, like if you're a really big Disney fan, this is worth the money for sure. Mickey Mouse Club, um, holy shit. Um, yeah, it's, it is, it is worth the dollars. And of course, as I've mentioned many a time before, if you pay for the year in advance, it is cheaper per month. So I am very much a fan of Disney+. Plus. I love what they're doing with original content. I think there's a lot of stuff here for pretty much any sort of viewer. Um, certainly more stuff than I can hope to watch anytime soon. Uh, but I will slowly work my way through as much of what's on here as possible. Uh, some of the things I've seen on here so far. I saw my top two all-time favorite films um, on Disney+. Plus. The Lion King and Muppet Treasure Island are my top two favorite movies of all time. Uh, rewatched Frozen... Rewatched Captain America 1, rewatched the Santa Claus. Um, the reason I know these off the top of my head is because I've been um, adding them to my wish list as I've watched it. I have also seen all of the made for Disney Plus Pixar shorts called Spark Shorts. And they are, for the most part, okay. Float is pretty good. Pearl is meh at best. Smash and Grab is okay. But Kitbull is very good. I love the way that looked, and I loved the emotional notes that that one hit. Um, to me, a Pixar short starts off strong, really hits you hard emotionally, and then ends strong. Like, um, Bow is a wonderful Pixar short because it gives you that emotional roller coaster in such a short amount of time. And Kitbull achieves that. Float sort of does. It doesn't quite hit it at the end like I would have wanted to. Pearl, I think, misses the mark completely. I don't know. That's just... 
any fucking studio couldn't have done that. That is not Pixar magic. That is just just a, a weird retelling of like a racial story. It's not particularly interesting. And um, Smash and Grab is also pretty good. Kind of a, a, a minor Wally vibe from that. So uh, there's a new thing on here called One Day at Disney, which is, uh, let's see. Discover the fascinating inspirational personal stories of 10 incredible people behind the enduring magic of Disney through the lens of CEO Bob Iger. We follow each subject, uh, including a legendary animator, the woman reading, leading the next generation of Imagineers, and GMA's Robin Roberts throughout their day at an intimate glimpse into their unique journeys. Narrated by Sterling K. Brown. Real quick check here. Sterling K. Brown, I believe is... Oh, yeah, it's... um. Oh, fuck. Oh, you have been in... You've been in some stuff. Uh, he was in the new um, Predator movie. He was Christopher Darden in the first season of American Crime Story. He was... Um, he's been in a lot of stuff. He's a very good actor. He's in This Is Us. I know you from something. What is it? You were in... He's in Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Oh, he's in Black Panther as Najobu. There we go. That's, that's where I've, I've seen it from. And he's also in uh, Frozen 2 as uh, Destin Mateus. Um, yeah, no, he's he's a phenomenal actor. Oh, that's awesome. Good for him. Um, I can't wait to watch that. Uh, wait, what was that? Sorry. Disneyland Around the Seasons. 1967. Yes, here we go. Walt Disney talks about the changes taking place at Disneyland Park. Leads us on a tour to point out the newest rides, attractions, and adventures. Program was presented as originally created. May contain outdated cultural depictions. Um, fuck yeah. I love shit like that. So yes, Disney Disney Plus has so much for pretty much any type of entertainment aficionado. Like I don't even want to say Disney fan because it's like it's got great movies, it's got wonderful shows, it's got Disney Channel original animated shows from like back in the day. It's got a bunch of animated specials and things and a bunch of Nat Geo documentaries. Like even if you're not a Disney fan, there's probably something on here that you'd be willing to watch. So. That's enough me harping on about Disney Plus. We probably won't talk about it um, again unless I'm talking about something specific within Disney Plus. Like once I see all of the Mandalorian, we're probably going to talk about that. But I'll save that until I actually watch the Mandalorian. So, but so far Disney Plus, ten out of ten. Um, this combined with Netflix and YouTube basically takes care of all of my entertainment needs. So thanks Disney. I can't wait to see what kind of stuff you put on this, and I can't wait to watch the ever living shit out of it. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. This lunatic and letting Scrooge's nephew out had let two other people in. They were portly gentlemen, pleasant to behold, now stood with their hats off in Scrooge's office. They had books and papers in their hands and bowed to him. <laughs> Scrooge and Marley's, I believe, said one of the gentlemen referring to his list. Have I had the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead these seven years. Um, Scrooge replied, he died seven years ago this very night. We have no doubt his liberality and was well represented by his surviving partner, said the gentleman presenting his credentials. It certainly was, for they had been two kindred spirits. At the ominous word liberality, 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 sure. Scrooge frowned and shook his head and handed the credentials back. <clears throat> As this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, said the gentleman taking up his pen, it is no more, uh, is no, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provisions for the poor and destitute, who suffer greatly at present times. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. 
Necessary as fuck me, I can't stop it. Read! Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comfort, sir. Are there no prisons? Asked Scrooge. Plenty of prisons, said the gentleman laying down the pen again. And the union workhouses? Demanded Scrooge. Are they still in operation? They are, still, returned the gentleman. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigor, then, said Scrooge. Both very busy, sir. Oh! I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them from their useful course, said Scrooge. I am very glad to hear it. Under the impression that they are scarcely furnished Christian cheer of mind or body to the multitude, returned the gentleman, a few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drinks and means of warmth. We choose this time because it's a time of all others when want is felt keenly and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing, Scrooge replied. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone, said Scrooge. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, said Scrooge, they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Besides, excuse me, I don't know that. But you might know it, observed the gentleman. It's not my business, Scrooge returned. It is enough for a man to understand his own business, not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Seeing clearly that it would be useless to pursue their point, the gentleman withdrew. Beep-hoo. Sorry, that was my bad beaker impersonation. The best version of the Christmas Carol is a Muppets Christmas Carol, and I will fight you tooth and nail to the death for that. Don't come at me with your fucking Jim Carrey's, or your Mickey Mouse's, or your Patrick Stewart's. Alright, give me Kermit and Michael Caine every goddamn time. Every goddamn time. Except for that song in the bit where it's like it's like a young Michael Caine and his 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 fiance and they sing like you can skip that. That's it's, it's, it's fucking that's nothing. It, it shatters the tone fucking dead. It like shuts the whole movie down. So just skip that scene and just move on. Um but yeah. I'm also very much enjoying um the the sheer amount of lines that were taken straight out of this book. And put in the Muppet movie. Including, if they would rather die, they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. That is that is great. And I mean, of course, Muppet Christmas Show starts with Gonzo going like, The Marleys were dead to begin with. Which I always thought was interesting because the fucking Muppet movie invented the character of Robert Marley. In the original tech, there's only one Marley. And it's Jacob. There's only one J- There's only one Marley. So the song Marley and Marley, like, they just wanted Stalin Waldorf to be the Marleys. But it's just like... You guys, you guys did some stuff there, didn't you? Anyway. Scrooge resumed his labors with an improved opinion of himself in a more fastidious temper than was usual with him. Meanwhile, the fog and darkness thickened so that people ran around about with flaring links proffering their services to go before horses and carriages and conduct them on their way. The ancient tower of a church whose gruff old bell was always peeping slyly down at Scrooge out of a gothic window on the wall became invisible and struck the hours and quarters in the clouds with tremulous vibrations afterwards as if its teeth were chattering in its frozen head up there. The cold became intense. In the main street at the corner of the court, some laborers were repairing the gas pipes and had lighted a great fire in a brazier around which a party of ragged men and boys were gathered, warming their hands and winking their eyes before the blaze and rapture. The water plug behind uh, being left in solitude, its overflowing sullenly congealed, turned to misanthropic ice. The brightness of the shops where holly sprigs and berries crackled in the lamp here, the windows made pale faces ruddy as they passed. 
Poulterers and grocers' trades became a splendid joke, a glorious pageant with which it was next impossible to believe that such dull principles as bargain and sale had anything to do. The Lord Mayor in the stronghold of the mighty mansion house gave orders to 50 cooks and butlers to keep Christmas as the Lord Mayor's household should. Even the little tailor, whom he had fined five shillings on the previous Monday for being drunk and bloodthirsty in the streets, stirred up tomorrow's pudding in his garret while his lean wife and baby sailed out to buy the beef. Foggier yet and colder, piercing, searching, biting cold. The good St. Dustin had but nipped the evil spirit's nose with a touch of such weather as that instead of using his familiar weapons, then indeed he would have roared a lusty purpose. The owner of one scant young nose gnawed and mumbled by hungry cold and bones as gnawed by dogs stooped down at Scrooge's keyhole to regale him with a Christmas carol. But at the first ja sound of God rest ye gentlemen, ye nothing you dismay. Scrooge seized the ruler with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror, terror, leaving the keyhole to the fog and even more congenial frost. At length, the hour of... So, I fucking love that scene in the in the movie when fucking... Uh, what's his name? His name's like Bean the Bunny. When he goes, Rightly shows the moon at night. <laughs> Shilling for the song, sir? Just throws a wreath at him. That poor bunny. That poor bunny. Anyway. I like the hour of shutting up the counting house arrived. With an ill will, Scrooge dismounted from his stool and tacitly admitted to the fact, uh, the effect to the expectant clerk and the tank, who instantly snuffed his candle at and put on his hat. You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose, said Scrooge. If it's quite convenient, sir. It is not convenient, said Scrooge, and it's not fair. If I was to stop half a crown for it, you think yourself ill-used, I'll be bound? The clerk smiled faintly. And yet, said Scrooge, you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work? The clerk observed uh, that it was only once a year. A poor man's excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December, said Scrooge, buttoning his great coat uh, to the chin. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier the next morning. The clerk promised that he would, and Scrooge walked out with a growl. The office was closing in a twinkling, and the clerk, with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no great coat, went down a slide on Cornhill at the end of the lane of boys twenty times in honor of its being Christmas Eve, and ran home to Camden Town as hard as he could pelt to play a blind man's bluff. The fuck are these terms? I don't understand. This is this is why you read this shit in school. So you have the teacher be like, so who knows what a blind man's bluff is? Anyone? Well, back in Victorian times, blah, 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 blah. Fuck you, Mrs. Whoever. I want to read Lord of the Rings. You don't. You really don't. It's long and dry. I probably just annoyed some people. Anyway, Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern, having read all the newspaper and beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book and went home to bed. He lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. They were a gloomy suite of rooms in a low pile of buildings up a yard where it had so little business to be that one could scarcely help fancying it must have run there when it was a young house, playing at hide-and-seeks with the other houses and forgotten out of the way again. It was old enough now and dreary enough, for nobody lived in it but Scrooge, the other rooms being all let out as offices. The yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, was fain to grope with his hands. The fog and frost hung so hung at the black gate, old gateway of the house, that it seemed as if the genius of the weather sat in mournful meditation upon the threshold. Now, it is a fact that there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on the door, except that it was very large. It was also a fact that Scrooge had seen it night and morning during his whole residence in that place. Also that Scrooge had ha had 
ha, um, had as little of what is called fancy about him as any man in the city of London, even including, which is a bold word, the corporation, alderman, and livery, or livery. Let it also be borne in mind that Scrooge had not bestowed one thought on Marley since his last mention of his seven years dead partner that afternoon. And that, and then let any man explain to me, if he can, how it happened that Scrooge, having the key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker without it undergoing any intermediate process of change. Not a knocker, but Marley's face. Marley's face. It was not an impenetrable shadow as the other objects in the yard were, but had a dismal light about it, like a bad lobster in a dark, in a dark cellar. It was not angry or ferocious, but looked up at Scrooge as Marley used to look, with ghostly spectacles turned up on his ghostly forehead. The hair was curiously stirred, as if by breath or hot air, and though the eyes were wide open, they were perfectly motionless. That, and the livid color, made it horrible. But its horror seemed to be in spite of the face beyond its control, rather than part of its own expression. As Scrooge looks fixedly at the phenomenon, it was a knocker again. To say that he was not startled, or that his blood was not conscious of a terrible sensation to which it had been a stranger from infancy would be untrue. But he put his hand in the pawn the key uh, he had relinquished, turned it sturdily, walked in, and lighted his candle. Lit, lighted, who cares? He did pause with a moment's resolution before he shut the door, and he did look cautiously behind it first, as if he half expected to be terrified with the sight of Marley's pigtail sticking out of the hall. But there was nothing on the back of the door except the screws and nuts that held the knocker on, so he said, Poo-poo! And closed it with a bang. Why would he say poo-poo? When you the poo. The sound resounded through the house like thunder! Every room above, every every cask in the wine merchant cellars below appeared to have a separate peal of echoes all of its own. Scrooge was not a man to be frightened by echoes. He fastened the door and walked across the hall and up the stairs, slowly too, trimming his candle as he went. You may talk vaguely about driving a coach and six up a good old flight of stairs or through a bad young act of parliament, but I mean to say you might have got a hearse up the staircase and taken it broadways with the splinter bar towards the wall and the door towards the balustrades and done it easily. There was plenty of width for that and room to spare, which is perhaps the reason why Scrooge thought he saw a locomotive's hearse going on before him in the gloom. Half a dozen gas lamps out on the streets wouldn't have lighted the entry too well, so you may suppose it was pretty dark with Scrooge's dip. Pons up Scrooge went, not carrying a button for that. Darkness was cheap, and Scrooge liked it. Hey, that's another line from... The, yeah, whatever. But before he shut his heavy door, he walked through his rooms to see that all was right. He had just enough recollection of the face to desire to do that. Sitting room, bedroom, lumber room. Lumber room? What the fuck is the lumber room? Ah, yes, this is where I keep all my good lumber. For when I feel like building a log cabin on the weekends. All as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa, a small fire on the grate, spoon and basin ready, and the little saucepan of gruel. Scrooge had a cold in his head. Upon the hob, nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet, nobody in the dressing gown, which was hanging up in the suspicious attitude against the wall. Lumber room as usual, the old fire guard, old shoes, two fish, fish baskets, washing stand on three legs, and a poker. Quite satisfied, he closed his door and locked himself in. Double locked himself in, which was not a custom. Thus secured against surprise, he took off his cravat, put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap, and sat down before the fire to take his gruel. It was a very low fire indeed, nothing on such a bitter night. He was obliged to sit close to it and brood over it, before he could extract the least sensation of warmth from such a handful of fuel. The fireplace was an old one, built by some Dutch merchant long ago, and paved all around with quaint Dutch tiles designed to illustrate the scriptures. There were Cain's and Abel's, Pharaoh's daughters, queens of Sheba, angelic messengers descending through the air on clouds like feather beds, Abraham's 
Belshazzar's apostles putting off to sea in butter boats, hundreds of figures to attract his thoughts, and yet that face of Marley, seven years dead, came like the ancient prophet's rod and swallowed up the whole. <clears throat> came like the ancient prophet's rod and swallowed up the whole. Oh. Okay, that's fine. Generation 8 of Pachocoman came out, Pokemon Sword and Shield. I have since beaten this game. It took all of about 20 hours, which is tremendously short for a Pokemon game. Usually it takes me anywhere between 40 to 50 hours to beat a Pokemon game, but I blasted through this thing in a couple of days. And it's decent. The story might as well just not even be there outside of like, go take on the challenge of the tournament of the Pokemon fighters. Which is a fine thing to do, but like the air quotes team rocket of this game is not facetious in the slightest. They're just kind of rowdy because they are cheering on like one person. They're never antagonistic towards you, really. Um, like anytime you fight them, they're like, whoa, hold on, man. Don't wake up the snake. What's wrong with you? And then they fight you, but then they just run away and that's not, nothing comes of it. There's no like... The bad guy isn't revealed until, like, the very end of the game. And that whole, like, I'm the bad guy. Here's my doomsday device. Oh, no, you've destroyed my doomsday device. Like, that whole thing takes about 15 minutes. And then it's just, it's wrapped up. It's done. It's over. Nobody gives a shit. And then you go fight the fucking champion, and you kick his ass, and then the game's over. And there's nothing in the way of post-game content. Nothing. Like... There's plenty of shit you can do in the game, like raid and, you know, capture all the Pokemon and all that stuff that you can do in any other game. But in terms of, like, story content or anything like that, you go catch your dog. And, like, at that point, nobody... I don't care about the dog anymore because the game's fucking over. Um, yeah, it's... It doesn't feel... It, it feel It's fine. It's, it's fine. It's just kind of safe. You know, they didn't really take, like, any risks. Like, this is something I discovered when I was talking to somebody about the new Pokemon games. Sun and Moon has a better story than this game does. And I hated Sun and Moon. Like, oh, the Alola region can fuck off. That whole that whole thing is terrible. I hate it. I hate how linear that was. I didn't like how fucking it never felt like you left the tutorial. I didn't like it. But that game has a better story than this one does. This game, when you're in the wild areas, like, right at the front, this game has a super strong start. You get your starter, you go into the wild areas, and there are like 50, level 50 Pokemon just all around, just like gonna wreck your shit. And they won't let you run away from these guys. You also can't catch these guys. They're just there. And you have access to them right away. There'll be dudes telling you like, whoa, don't go across this bridge. They'll fuck you right up. But you can go across that bridge. The game gives you the freedom to explore all over the place, to collect all these items, and to go fishing, and do all this crazy shit with the threat of these Pokemon that are so fucking strong, they will annihilate you and your team. I love that. I love the freedom it provides. The characters are pretty decent. The setting, the the towns are awesome. The the way they look is incredible. That the world building is is really well done. I enjoyed all of that. I didn't like the fact that you couldn't name your enemy. Um that that kind of bugged me. I would have loved to keep up the theme of calling all of my rivals in these games ass face but it wouldn't let me um it is it, it's it's a okay game like if you get it from a friend totally fine 20 hours of gameplay is not worth 60 bucks though i will say that 
It is it is a lot of money for not a lot of video game. Usually I like to equate it to like a dollar an hour's worth of entertainment, which means this game is three times as more expensive as what I think it should be worth. So that's my that's my review of Pokemon. If you can borrow it from somebody, sure, go for it. You won't hold on to the game for very long. I'll give you that for free. The differences between the versions of the games might as well not even exist. I will be interested to see if they come out with like Sword and Shield 2, because that's kind of the new trend, right? It used to be Diamond, Pearl, Platinum. There'd be a third version. Now it's like Black and White and then Black and White 2 or um, Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. You know, there, there's two, it's like a sequel kind of version or a redo version of the original game, like Dark Souls 2 Scholar of the First Sin, uh, which was a complete rehash of Dark Souls, like, or Dark Souls 2 rather. It's, it's still the same game, but like enemy placements are different. Where the items are and um, types of enemies you encounter and all that stuff is, is totally different um, in Scholar of the First Sin. So I will probably take a look at a sequel should they come out with it because I do en I did enjoy my time there as I enjoy my time in any Pokemon game. But I will say it was tremendously easy. I think I lost like one battle and that was just because I wasn't paying attention. Um, but it is, it is okay. It's fine. Still the best Pokemon game to come out anywhere near this generation was Alpha, Sapphire, and Omega Ruby. Like, that game is nigh on perfect. Um, it tells a great story. It gives you access to all these amazing Pokemon. You can catch basically every fucking legendary there was up until that point in that game. There's a ton of post-game content in that game. It's, it's incredible. So that one's probably my favorite. Um, but... You know, if, po and if Nintendo's trend continues, maybe we'll start seeing a Switch remake of Generation 4, Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum, which I would absolutely love because that was probably my favorite generation because that gave us Lucaria. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But Pokemon Sword and Shield, I'd give it a solid like 7 out of 10. Borrow it if you can get it. It's not worth it at $60, um, but it is visually stunning and I loved it on the big screen. Playing Pokemon on the big screen was was pretty fantastic so definitely fun but it's it's a lot for not a lot of gameplay that's kind of that's kind of my spiel on pokemon um yeah let's move on to the next thing in the podcast tile had been a blank at first with power to shape some picture on its surface from the disjointed fragments of its thoughts there would have been a copy of old marley's head on every one humbug said scrooge and walked across the room after several turns he sat down again and he threw his head back in the chair and his, his glance happened to rest upon a bell a disused bell that hung in the room and communicated for some purpose now forgotten with a chamber in the highest story of the building it was with great astonishment and with a strange inexplicable dread that as he looked he saw this bell begin to swing. It swung so softly in the outset that it scarcely made a sound. But soon it rang loudly, and so did every bell in the house. This might have lasted half a minute or a minute, but it seemed an hour. The bells ceased as they had begun together. They were succeeded by a clanking noise deep down below, as if some person was dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the wine merchant's cellar. Scrooge then remembered that he had heard that ghosts haunted in haunted houses were described as dragging chains. The cellar door flew open with a booming sound. Then he heard the noise much louder on the floors below, then coming up the stairs, then coming straight towards his door. It's humbug still, 
said Scrooge. I won't believe it! His color changed, though. Then, without pause, it came on through the heavy door and passed into the room before his eyes. Upon its coming in, the dying flame leapt up as though it cried, I know him. Marley's ghost! And fell again. The same vase, the very same. Marley in his pigtails, usual waistcoat, tight boots and tassels on the ladder, bristling like his pigtails and his coat skirts and the hair upon his head. The chain he drew was clasped around his middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail, and it was made, for Scrooge observed it closely, of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. His body was transparent so that Scrooge, observing him and looking through his waistcoat, could see the two buttons on his coat behind. Oh, God. Sorry, this is... That's... That, like, whole descriptor scene is... Like, I got chills, you know? Just like that whole, like, the bell's ringing, and then you hear the chains being dragged up the stairs as the ghost comes closer and closer. Scrooge has often heard it said that Marley had no bowels, but he had never did believe it until now. No, nor did he believe it even now. Though he looked the phantom through and through and saw it standing before him, though he felt the chilling influence of its death-cold eyes and marked the very texture of the folded kerchief bound around its head and chin, which wrapper he had not observed before, he was still incredulous and fought against incenses. How now? said Scrooge, caustic and cold as ever. What do you want with me? Much. Marley's voice. No doubt about it. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? Scrooge said, raising his voice. You're particular for a shade. He was going to say to a shade, but substituted this as more appropriate. In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you? Can you sit down? Asked Scrooge, looking doubtfully at him. I can! Do it, then! Scrooge asked the question, because he did not know whether a ghost was so transparent might find himself in a condition to take a chair, and felt that in the event of it being impossible might involve the necessity of an embarrassing explanation. But the ghost sat down on the opposite side of the fireplace, as if he were quite used to it. You don't believe in me! Observed the ghost. I don't! Said Scrooge. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your senses? I don't know! Said Scrooge. Why do you doubt your senses? Because, said Scrooge, a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheat. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. Scrooge was not much in the habit of cracking jokes, nor did he feel in his heart by any means waggish then. The truth is that he tried to be smart, and as a means of distracting his own attention and keeping down his terror, for the specter's voice disturbed the very marrow in his bones. There's more of gravy than of grave about you. What a great, what a great goddamn line that is. Fuck. I read Great Expectations. I've read A Tale of Two Cities. I've read Oliver Twist. This is so by far my favorite Dickens book. Uh, so far. I mean, I kind of know where the story goes, so I know it's a pretty decent tale. But, God, the humor. The humor. It's pretty fucking good. Oh, man. Uh, do, 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 do. To sit, staring at those fixed glazed eyes in silence for a moment, would play, Scrooge felt, the very deuce with him. There was something very awful, too, in the specters being provided with an infernal atmosphere of its own. Scrooge did not feel it himself, but it was clearly the case, for the ghost sat perfectly motionless, its hair and skirts and tassels still agitated by the hot vapor from an oven. As by the hot vapor from an oven. You see this, toothpick? said Scrooge, returning quickly to the charge, for the reasons just designed and wishing, though it were only for a second, to divert the vision's stony gaze from himself. I do, replied the ghost. You are not looking at it, said Scrooge. But I see it, said the ghost, notwithstanding. Well, returned Scrooge, I have but to swallow this, and be for the rest of my days persecuted by a legion of goblins, all of my own creation. Humbug, I tell you, humbug! 
At this, the spirit raised a frightful cry and shook its chains with such a dismal and appalling noise that Scrooge held on tight to his chair to save himself from falling in a swoon. By how much greater was his horror when the phantom taking off the bandage round its head, as if it were too warm to wear indoors, its lower jaw dropped down upon its breast. Scrooge fell upon his knees and clasped his hands before his face. Mercy, he said, dreadful apparition, why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, replied the ghost, do you believe in me or not? I do, said Scrooge, I must. But why do spirits walk the earth, and why do they come to me? It is required of every man, the ghost returned, that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men, and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world. Oh, woe is me, and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth, and turned to happiness. Again the spectre raised a cry and shook its chains and wrung its shadowy hands. You are fettered said Scrooge, trembling. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life, replied the ghost. I made it link by link, yard by yard. I guarded it upon my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Scrooge trembled more and more. Would you know, pursued the ghost, the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself. It was full as heavy as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Scrooge glanced around him on the stone floor in, in expectation of finding himself surrounded by some 50 or 60 fathoms of iron cable, but he could see nothing. Jacob, he said imploring. Oh, Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give, the ghost replied. It comes from another region's Ebenezer Scrooge, and it's conveyed by other ministers to other kinds of men. Nor can I tell you what I would. A very little more is all permitted to me. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. Mark me! In life my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole, and weary journeys lie before me. It was a habit with Scrooge, whenever he became thoughtful, to put his hands in his breeches pocket. Pondering on what the ghost had said, he did so now, but without lifting up his eyes or getting off his knees. You must have been very slow about it, Jacob, Scrooge observed in business-like manner, though with humility and deference. Slow! The ghost repeated. Seven years dead, mused Scrooge. And traveling all the time. The whole time, said the ghost. No rest nor peace. Incessant torture of remorse. You travel fast, said the Scrooge. What? On the rings of the wind, replied the ghost. You might have gone over a very quantity of ground in seven years, said Scrooge. The ghost, upon hearing this, set up another cry and clanked his chain so hideously in the dead silence of the night that the word would have been justified in indicating it for a nuisance. Oh, captive bound and double ironed, cried the, the phantom. Not to know that ages of incessant labor by immortal creatures, for this earth must pass into eternity before the good of which it is susceptible is all developed. Not to know that any Christian spirit working kindly in its little sphere, whatever it may be, will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness. Not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one's life's opportunities misused. And such was I. Oh, such was I! But you were always a good man for business, Jacob, faltered Scrooge, who now began to apply this to himself. Business! cried the ghost, wringing its hand again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. It held up its chains at arm's length as if the cause of all of its unavailing grief and flung it heavily upon the ground again. All this time of the rolling year, the specter said, I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down, never raised them to that blessed star which led the wise men to the poor abode? 
where the no poor homes to which lights would have conducted me. Scrooge was very much dismayed to hear the specter going on at this rate, began quaking exceedingly. Hear me, cried the ghost. My time is nearly gone. I will, said Scrooge, but don't be hard upon me. Don't be flowery, Jacob. Pray. How is it that I appear before you in a shape as you can see? I may not tell. I stand invisible beside you many a, many a day. It was not an agreeable idea, Scrooge shivered and wiped the perspiration from his brow. There's no light part of my penance, um, pursued the ghost. I am here tonight to warn you that you have a chance and a hope of escaping my fate, a chance and hope of my procuring Ebenezer. You're always a good friend to me, said Scrooge. Thank ye. You will be haunted, resumed the ghost, by three spirits. Scrooge's countenance fell almost as low as the ghost had done. Is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? He demanded in a faltering voice. It is. I think... I'd rather not, said Scrooge. Without their visits, said the ghost, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. I expect the first tomorrow, when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over with Jacob? Hinted Scrooge. Expect the second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Look to, look to see me no more. And look that, for your own sake, you remember what has passed between us. When it had said these words, the specter took its wrappers from the table and bound its and bound it round its head as before. Scrooge knew this by the small sound its teeth made when the jaws were brought together by the bandage. It ventured to raise its eyes again and found its supernatural visitor confronting him in an erect attitude with the chains wound over and about its arm. The apparition walked backwards from him, and at every step it took, the window raised itself a little, so that when the specter reached it, it was wide open. It beckoned Scrooge to approach, which he did. When they were within two paces of each other, Marley's ghost held up its hand, warning him to come no nearer. Scrooge stopped, not so much in obedience as in surprise and fear, for on the raising of the hand, he became sensible of confused noises in the air, incoherent sounds of lamentations and regrets, wailings inexpressibly sorrowful and self-accusatory. The specter, after listening for a moment, joined in its mournful dirge and floated upon, uh, out upon the bleak dark night. Scrooge followed to the window, desperate in his curiosity. He looked out. The air was filled with phantoms wandering hither and thither in restless haste and moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. Some few, they might be guilty governments, were linked together. None were free. Many had been personally known to Scrooge in their lives. He had been quite familiar with one old ghost in a white waistcoat with a monstrous iron safe attached to its ankles, who cried piteously at being unable to assist a wretched woman with an infant, whom it saw below upon a doorstep. The misery with uh, them all was, clearly, that they sought to interfere for good in human matters had lost the power forever. Whether these creatures faded into mist or mist enshrouded them, he could not tell. But they and their spirit voices faded together, and the night became as it had been when he walked home. Scrooge closed the window and examined the door by which the ghost had entered. It was double-locked, as he had locked it with his own hands, and the bolts were undisturbed. He tried to say, Humbug! but stopped at the first syllable. And being from the emotion he had undergone, or the fatigues of the day, or the glimpse of the invisible world, or the dull conversation of the ghost, with the lateness of the hour, much in need of repose, he went straight to bed without undressing and fell asleep upon the instant. Whew. Damn. Making making fog just the disembodied spirits of the damned forever cursed to walk upon the earth? Fucking goddamn Dickens! That's good shit! Holy shit. Well, hey, thank you for listening to this first bit of uh, Christmas Carol. And uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Cooling Up Cast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I know it's very different from what we've done in the past. 
but I'm I'm trying a I'm trying a new direction. And if you enjoyed this uh, this audiobook reading, please feel free to go to goingcast.com where you might listen to me read all of Harry Potter. And I'm almost done with the first Game of Thrones book. There is plenty there to listen to. Next time we will continue a Christmas Carol with Stave Two, the first of the three spirits. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Enjoy December, and I'll see you all next time.